Will you please turn to the letter to the Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read from verse 15 through verse 23. That's the first prayer of Paul in this letter. Wherefore I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which is in you, and the love which ye have towards all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you at my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of him, being enlightened in the eyes of your heart, so that ye should know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength in which he wrought in the Christ in raising him from among the dead and he set him down at his right hand in the heavenlies, above every principality and authority, and power and dominion, and every name named, not only in this age, but also in that to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And then will you please turn to the third chapter of Ephesians, the second prayer of Paul. We begin with verse 14. Verse 14 through verse 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom every family in the heavens and on earth is named, in order that he may give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power by his Spirit in the inner man, that the Christ may dwell through faith in your hearts, being rooted and founded in love, in order that ye may be fully able to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of the Christ which surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled even to all the fullness of God. But to him that is able to far exceedingly above all that we ask or think, according to the power which works in us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus and to all generations of the ages of ages. Amen. And then will you please turn to the book of Joshua.
Joshua chapter 1. We'll just read the first three verses. And it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of Jehovah, that Jehovah spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' attendant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. And now, rise up, go over this Jordan, thou and all his people, into the land which I give unto them, to the children of Israel. Every place whereon the sole of your foot shall tread have I given to you, as I said unto Moses. And finally, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Dear Lord, we gathered here with hearts of gratitude. How can we thank thee enough what thou hast done for us? Thou hast shown thy love to us to the uttermost. And Lord, what can we say? Thou hast redeemed us Thou hast brought upon us with such a price. We no longer belong to ourselves. We are thine. Our only prayer is thy will be done in us as it is in heaven. We give ourselves over to thee for this time praying that thou will not only give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to thy full knowledge, but also, Lord, strengthen us by thy spirit in our inner man, that we may apprehend with all the saints the love of God that is beyond description. Oh, dear Lord, lay thy hands upon each and every one of us. We are forever thine. We ask in thy precious name. Amen. During the prayer time this morning, A thought came to my mind. 
we have been talking about spiritual inheritance. And we have tried to describe before you dear brothers and sisters what that inheritance is. We discover that this inheritance is a double mutual inheritance. It is true that by his grace we ought to inherit him, our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no greater inheritance than having our Lord Jesus as our portion. But at the same time, we have to remember there is something even more than that. That is to say, God himself wants to have us to be his inheritance. There is no problem when we think of how he is our inheritance. We cannot fathom the glory of that inheritance. It is far beyond our understanding. But even more, it is hard to, for us to take it that even God consider us as the richest of the glory of his inheritance. This is the wonder of wonders. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you really see what that inheritance is, do you really long for it? So the thought that came to me during the prayer time was, think of Moses. Moses had not seen the promised land with his eyes. That came later. He only heard from God that it is a land flowing in milk and honey. And it was reinforced by the spies, telling him how good that land was, and show him to produce how abundant that land was. So that created waiting Moses such a longing to enter into the promised land. You remember because at one time he misrepresented God. So he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. But you read how he pleaded with God. Oh God, if only you allow me to go in. I cannot stand 
of sight of that blessed land. He has such a longing to enter in and possess it. Finally, God allowed him and show him that blessed land. So what impresses upon me is this. If you have seen a glimpse of the spiritual inheritance in view before us, does it create within you a longing for it? Or you don't care? After all you're saved, what more do you want? But brothers and sisters, may the Lord create within each and every one of us a deep longing. Oh Lord, I want to enter in. If this is what you have in your heart, not only for my sake, Lord, it is for your sake. I must go in, at whatever cost, by whatever way, Lord, lead us into it. So I do hope that within all the hearts of our brothers and sisters here, Lord, that there is such a deep longing. You have shown me what it is. Now, show me the way. We want to enter in. We want to possess our possession. You know, when the Apostle Paul shared with the Ephesian believers the vision the heavenly vision that God has given him. I wonder if it is that vision that he saw when he was caught up to the third heaven. You remember he said 14 years ago there was a man in Christ. He was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, she said, I don't know. But that's what happened. And then he was caught away to paradise and her things that could not be said. But he didn't say what he caught up to the heaven was something forbidden to be shared. So I wonder if the letter to the Ephesians tell us of what he saw in the third heaven when he was caught up there. Most likely it is. But when he was sharing with the believers in Ephesus about it, 
do you realize that it's not something just to talk about? He may talk and talk and talk. People may hear and hear and hear. But unless the Lord be gracious to us and did something to us, it is beyond our understanding and it is beyond our reach. So that's the reason why in this letter to the Ephesians, you find as he was sharing with the Ephesian believers, twice he bowed his knee before God and prayed. In other words, it is only by God that we will be able to really know it and it is only through God that we are able to apprehend it. So you find in Ephesians chapter 1 where he prayed this first prayer. He asked God to grant us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Why? Because this is something beyond human understanding. We need revelation from above. We need God to reveal such things to us that we may really know, not just know it in our mind, but know it in our heart. That we may really know in our heart what God had purposed eternally in Christ Jesus for us. So he prayed that the spirit of wisdom and revelation might be given and the eyes of our heart that is our understanding may be enlightened in order to know three things. Number one, he said, to know the hope of his calling. You know, brothers and sisters, God has called us. Every one of us has been called. He called us with a holy calling. He called us with an on high calling. He called us with a heavenly calling. And what is that calling? That calling is to all those who are the Lord's. If you read Ephesians, you know that calling is that we are called. Think of that. We who were the chiefs of sinners, dead in sins and transgressions, enemies of God, But God has called us to be 
his son's life companion. And the relationship is more, is closer and dearer than husband and wife. Even to be his very body. His son Christ is to be the head. And we, the unworthy, are to be the body of Christ. Now what a calling that is. It is really one. Because the head and the body are one. You cannot separate them. If you separate the body from the head, it's a corpse. It's no longer a living body. But dear brothers and sisters, what is the hope of his calling? We are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to be members, severally, one of another. We are called to be one with the head. We are called to be the fullness of him who feels all and in all. That's our calling. But what is the hope of our calling? Well, The hope is when the body is fully grown, it will become the bride of the Lamb. That's our hope. So it is no small thing to think that to be saved, that's good enough for me. You have to grow in life. You have to grow in Christ. You have to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. You have to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the uniting bond of peace. You have to minister one another, build up one another, until that body is fully grown. And thank God, the bridegroom is coming to take the church as his bride. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope. Number one. And what is the second thing? The second thing is, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? As we have said before, we are to be God's inheritance. And that inheritance has to be full of glory. And it is the riches of that glory, of the inheritance, in the saints. That is what God is going to have. Brothers and sisters, I confess it's beyond my 
understanding. I just cannot understand the glory of it, the riches of it, that God can take us to be his inheritance and to make a boast of it. Look what an inheritance I have in these saints. Brothers and sisters, amazing. Comparatively speaking, it is not amazing if we find in Christ the riches of glory of our inheritance in Christ. There is nothing to be amazed because that is what it was. It is. Think of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Think of the immense love of Christ. Think of what marvelous work of salvation he has accomplished. So, brothers and sisters, in one sense there is nothing strange. It's normal. It is what it should be. But to think that we, poor stuff, common, Earth material, desert land, and God said, you are my inheritors. I boast of it. I take pride over it. I see such glory, see such riches. It overwhelms me. I can only ask one question, Lord, how can it be? What is the way? Where is the way that leads to such spiritual inheritance? I want to know the way. I'm willing to walk in that way. I'm ready to pay any cost for it. Lord, I want it for you. Brothers and sisters, do you have this longing in your heart? Nothing can prevent you from pressing on. Because so much is at issue. So the question before us, dear brothers and sisters, is very simple. I have heard it. I have seen it. Now, show me the way. That by thy grace, I will walk in it. So may the Lord really create within each one of us such a love, such a desire for it, 
nothing can prevent us. For pursuing after that goal. And because of that, our question is where is the way? We have no power. to possess our possession. We have no power to transform ourselves. We have no power to be such an inheritance to you. Lord, where is the power? And that's the reason why you find in that revelation the third thing. And it says, what the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. In other words, God opens our understanding, our heart, to see the power of such great transformation is not in us. It is in him. He said, there is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. In other words, the power is there. It is a surpassing power. Why? Because it is the power that overcomes death. You know, death is the greatest power on earth. But there is a power that surpasses death. And this power alone can really change us, can really bring us into our possession and really enable us to really be the bride of the blessed Lamb. Now, what kind of power is that? It says it is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us. It is towards us. It is there. But one thing we need to believe. You know, oftentimes our own power limits our understanding of God's power. We think what we cannot do, nobody can, even God cannot. But brothers and sisters, we have to be delivered out of our limitness, our littleness. We have to believe that the power is not in us, but that power is in God. God who has purposed it, he has the power to perform it. So he said, this is a power towards us who believe. And what kind of power is that? According to the working of the might 
of his strength. In which he wrought in the Christ, in raising him from among the dead, and set him down at his right hand in the heavenlies. It is a power that has already been demonstrated to us. Not a theory. It is a fact. It has been proven. Because that very power of God that is going to transform us from dirt to precious stones has been demonstrated in the life of his beloved son. He sent his son into this world to be a man. And in that man he has demonstrated his power. Here was a man who was sinless, perfect. He was a man of God's heart. When God created man, that's the man God had in his heart. And Christ Jesus is the man. He has his own will, but he never do anything according to his own will. He submit his will to the will of his father. He has his own mind. But he submit his mind totally to the mind of God. He has his own emotion, but his emotion was completely under the control of his heavenly father. He walked on this earth as a perfect man. We who are imperfect, so imperfect, and we have met so many problems, encounters, oppositions. Think of our Lord Jesus. The perfect man. How he suffered throughout his life. How he was misunderstood. No one could understand him. How he walked on earth as he was in heaven. He brought heaven upon earth. Everything was different. He met opposition, denial, Crucifixion. But brothers and sisters, he did it all for our sake. Because only the one who knows no sin can become the sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God. He died. But he was raised from the dead. He went into death. 
robbed death of his power and came out victoriously. And not only that, he was taken to heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Everything is put under his feet. Now that is the power, surpassing greatness of power. Towards us who believe. In other words, brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by death. Not only surrounded by death, death working us. But he is able to deliver us out of all kinds of death. Raise us up in new life and an ascended life above every principality's authorities and everything seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Brothers and sisters, this is the power that God has prepared for those who believe. Now, do you believe? Our problem is our own weakness. Somehow circumscribe God. That's why we have to be delivered out of ourselves in order to be delivered unto God. So the power is there. But how does this power come upon us? Now that's where you find the Apostle Paul say the second prayer. So here in chapter 3, he began to pray. And his prayer was, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom every family in the heavens and the earth is named. In order that, now that is prayer, he may give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man. So in other words, Paul not only pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the full knowledge of God that he may know and not just know mentally but know in his heart that this is true. Now since this is true how can I get into it? How can I possess it? Apprehend it as I have been apprehended by God. How? We discover how weak we are. 
Brothers and sisters, you know it is very important for us to know how weak we are. Because unless we know how weak we are, we do not know how strong we really are. Do you know how strong you are? Not until God put put you in the wilderness. And there you begin to realize how impossible, how weak you are. You know, in our Christian walk, after we are saved, I believe in each and every one of us we have the desire to do the will of God, to please Him. And we all try our best. We have such confidence in ourselves that He has saved us, now we ought to glorify Him. Okay? God let us wander in the wilderness and try us out. Until one day we are like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I want to do the will of God, but I cannot. I do not want to rebel against God, but I do. This is what I, I was. I am. In me, that is in my flesh, there is no good. Now, have you come to that point yet? When we really come to be despaired of ourselves, that there is no strength in us, We cannot, simply cannot. And it is only at that time we will look up and say, thank God, through Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, that's the reason why we have to wander in the wilderness, just to prove to ourselves. Now God knows it all along. You cannot fool God. But we fool ourselves. And fool other people. Until one day we say, well, I'm finished. Lord, if you want to do it, you have to do it by yourself. I'm open. Are you open to the Lord? You need 
to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man. Now what is the inner man? The inner man is just another term for our new spirit. When we believe in the Lord Jesus, our dead spirit was quickened into life. It's cleansed by the precious blood. It becomes a new spirit. And with a new spirit, we can have our spiritual life. We can commune with God. And we can go on with the Lord. But we discover that our spirit is weak. Because there in our soul, the old Adamic self, I, life, is still in charge. So we have that civil war within ourselves. In our spirit, there is Christ. There is the spirit of God. But in our soul, there is still that old Adamic self, life. And these two conflicts with each other. And that's what I say. What I will, I cannot. What I do not, I do. In other words, our spirit is too weak. Our soul is too strong. Or put it more clearly, the spirit life is still in its infancy, while the soul life is the old Adam who has already lived for how many centuries? So how can you compare these two powers? So our spirit, our inner man needs to be strengthened. And who can strengthen our inner man? But the power of the Holy Spirit. That power that overcomes death, that power that overcomes the earth, lift us to the third heaven, in the heavenly. Brothers and sisters, God's power is there waiting for you. But it needs to find the place where it can come in. And that place is, we confess, we finished. Our end is God's beginning. God will never work against our will. If you don't let him, even though he is all willing to do it, he has to wait. Until you are willing. Then, like a floodgate is open. And he will strengthen your inner man with the power of God. And it is so strong that what will be the Resort, he said, that the Christ may dwell through faith in your hearts. 
In other words, Christ dwells in your spirit, but you dwell in your soul. Now your spirit is so strengthened that it overpowers the soul. It drives out, as it were, it dethrones, as it were, your soul life and replace it with Christ. So now Christ comes out of your spirit into your soul. He becomes the life of your soul. And what will be the result? Every expression out of your soul expresses Christ and not you anymore. His mind is your mind. His emotion is your emotion. His will is your will. Everything will express Christ. And brothers and sisters, it is at that point that we begin to be filled with the love of Christ. And then to apprehend what is the immeasurable love of God in Christ Jesus with all the saints. In other words, this is the way into the promised land. Now may I use another illustration. We remember that Israel, after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and the first generation who did not believe, they all passed away. It's a new generation. And God led them to the east side of Jordan, in the plain of Moab. And then you find Moses died, and Joshua continued. And God spoke to Joshua. Joshua said, God told to Joshua, now it is time that you should lead the people into the land that I have promised to give to them. And then you find what God told them is in verse 3, chapter 1. Every place whereon the sole of your foot shall tread have I given to you as I said to Moses. First, the land was promised to them. And to God, what he promised is already given. But for the children of Israel to really possess the land, what do they need? They need to put the sole of their foot upon every piece of the land. And when they did that, the land was there. But before that, there is something as a preparation. Why? Because there was the Jordan River separating the promised land from the land of Moab. 
So they had to cross the Jordan River. And how were they to cross the Jordan River? The ark. The ark of God will go before them. And they will follow 2,000 I forgot the word. Not not miles, but two thousand. Huh? No, anyway, <laughs> they have to follow at a distance. Now, why? It is because they had to have a clear view of that ark. Now, if you want to follow the ark. You cannot crowd it. You have to follow with a clear view of it. And then you know how to follow. So the ark went forward. And then when the ark entered into the Jordan River, then the water separated. And the children of Israel they pass over. And after they pass over, the first thing they did, they had to be circumcised. Now, what does it mean? It means, brothers and sisters, if we want to possess our possession, we need to cross the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is a type of baptism. But it is a deeper type. Red Sea is also a type of baptism. But Red Sea is a type that we are now leaving Egypt behind and baptized unto Christ. For them, they are baptized unto Moses. But here you find it is not leaving Egypt behind. It is leaving the wilderness behind. And the wilderness speaks of our experience, of our flesh. So you find that Jordan River means co-death with Christ. We are buried with Christ. Because when Christ died on the cross, he has not only borne our sins in his body, but he died on the cross as our representative. When he died, Adam died in him and with him. So in other words, we come to a point to see that we have been crucified with Christ. No longer live I. It is Christ who lives in me. And now I live in the flesh. By faith. Not my faith. But the faith of the Son of God. Who has died for me. And lived for me. 
So brothers and sisters, here you find a transaction, something we have to experience, knowing that we have been crucified with Christ. And there is the circumcision of the flesh. In other words, no longer to live in the flesh, but to live by the life of Christ in us. Now, if we have taken that stand by faith, and then also you find another thing. Joshua, while he was surveying the city of Jericho, trying to figure out a strategy of taking that city, a man appeared to him with a sword drawn. And Joshua said, are you with us or against us? And the man said, I'm neither with you nor against you. I'm to be the captain of the army of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that is something we have to recognize. Not only that now we stand by faith on the ground that our old man, we have been crucified with Christ. No longer live I. Our heart has been circumcised. But also, on the positive side, we have put ourselves under the leadership, the headship of Christ. Now, having done that, then it is time to be led by the Lord to put our feet down on every piece of land. In other words, then you'll find in your life there will be all those promised lands, piece by piece. You will fight through. You will fight against all the enemies that occupy the land. Whether it is Satan, whether it is the world, whether it is your own flesh trying to regain his control, anything, you'll find you have to fight through every inch of the land and possess it. Now that is possessing our possession. Do you think it's too hard? If it's by yourself, you will be driven back to the wilderness. But if it's the Lord leading you, onward, Christian, march. Let me put another illustration. You find our Lord Jesus said, all ye who labor and are heavy burden, come to me, and I will give you rest. Now we have all experienced this. We are heavily laden, we are burdened with sin, and yet, when we come to the Lord Jesus, our burden was gone. 
we have rest in our spirit. And then the Lord said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm low, lowly and meek in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls, for my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Brothers and sisters, in the first case, you find all you need to do is to come, and he will give you rest. But in the second case, you find the Lord said, come and yoke with me. We know what yoke is. When a farmer is planting the land, he put a yoke upon an ox, or a horse, or a mule. Why? Because without that yoke, he cannot control that animal. The animal has its own will. And the only way is put it under the yoke so he can control it. And unfortunately, you know, the animals sometimes will not listen. So that's where the goats are used, a sharp instrument in the hand of the farmer. But he does not want to hurt the animal. He just wants to remind the animal who is the master. So he will lightly touch the leg of the animal. But the animal is so stubborn, it kicks back. And if it kicks back, it hurts. And after a number of times, he learned the lesson. So, brothers and sisters, you find our Lord Jesus. He has never been yoked with the yoke of sin. On the contrary, he had taken off the yoke of sin from us. He freed us. But it doesn't mean that when our Lord was on earth, he has no yoke. He is under yoke of another kind. It is a yoke of the Father's will. So he put himself under that yoke. He does not come to do his own work. He comes to do his Father's business. And how you find he is lowly and meek in heart. Now, meek, you do not want to be meek because you think if you are meek that everybody will step on you. But meek doesn't mean weak. Actually, meek is a sign of strength. Why? Because you are meek before God, and God is on your side. Lowly 
He said, an attitude. You do not think of yourselves more than you should. Or even more so, you don't think of yourself anymore. That's lowly. That's the opposite of pride. And our Lord Jesus has such a character. He is big and lowly. He's not weak. He is not useless. Actually, he is the strongest person in the world. He is the mightiest one in the world. But his spirit before God is meek and lowly. And brothers and sisters, he asks us to yoke with him. He knows that you cannot put yourself under the yoke that he yoked with by yourself. But he wants you to yoke with him. You need an example. You need his life within you to be able to do the work of God. So when we really are willing to yoke with him. Now, that is another thing. God will never force you to yoke with Christ. If you want to be without yoke and live your own life, you can do it. But think of the end. But if you want God's end to be accomplished in your life, that's the only way. You have to learn. You have to be willing to be yoked with Christ. And that's an act of faith. Have you done that? Lord, I'm impossible. But I'm willing to be yoked with you and learn of you. It is not something outward. It is something inward. God's power will enable your spirit to rise up within you to respond to the voice of the spirit to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow him oh brothers and sisters you cannot do it but he can If only you are yoked with him. When your own nature began to try to exert itself, he will pull you back. 
and then you begin to be tamed. It is transformation. It is character building. It is Christ being transformed and conformed in us. And this is the way to possess our possession. Or to put it another way, this is the way that God will possess you. The only way. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Lord said, the Bible says, He has opened a new and living way for us to follow. It is through His flesh. The veil red. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to follow him? One day you will find 144,000, which is just a whole number. They follow the Lamb wheresoever he goes. And they can sing a new song that nobody on earth can learn because they learned it by experience. Brothers and sisters, thank God. He has promised. He has finished the work. He has prepared the power. All that awaits is you say, yes, Lord. Are you willing to do that? May the Lord bring each and every one of us into that inheritance prepared for us even before the foundation of the world. And he is faithful. He who has promised, he will perform it. Thank God for that. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we praise and thank Thee because Thou hast done it all. There is nothing left for us but to trust and obey. Here we are. Will you please take us and work in us encourage us exhort us warn us fill us with thy spirit oh we depend on thee to lead us in 
that we may be to the praise of your glory. In thy precious name, amen.